What's up, everyone, and welcome to Mike Check. I'm your host, Mike Velasquez, and this is the podcast where we talk about all things fitness, wellness, rehab, and more importantly, the constant pursuit of knowing better in order to do better for the people that we serve. Now, without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Mike Check. I'm your host, Mike Velasquez, and today I'm very excited to be joined by Dr. Quinn Hennick, um, all the way from California. How's it going, Quinn? It's going well, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. You're definitely someone that I was really kind of, when I first started the idea of even starting a podcast, you know, kind of long shot guests, I was like, all right, I definitely would love to have Quinn on someday. So being able to kind of make this happen now is, is pretty awesome, to be honest. Well, I'm I'm uh, I'm honored to be on, man. This is a really cool project, and it's uh, it seems like it's already taken off, and and I'm sure it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a definitely uh, it's been fun. It's it was mostly started kind of on personally, just because I wanted to have these conversations with people, you know, across the country, and just people that I hadn't really you know talked um, more to than like besides just being on the, on social media. Um, so it's been really fun to kind of have some conversations with people that I've only known really through Instagram or something like that. Um, but you're someone that, uh, I think I remember getting like my first, when I got back into grad school and I got my grad school email address, I remember like applying to a clinical athlete like that day to become a student member um, as soon as I had it. So um, definitely looking forward to kind of hearing more about, you know, why you created that and everything like that today. Um, for those people that don't know um, a whole lot about you or just kind of maybe are interested in, in hearing more about you, one, just start off with a little bit of a backstory on kind of who you are, um, what you do and where you're located. Yeah, sure. I, so I'm a physical therapist. I have uh, an office, my own little cash-based clinic inside of a weightlifting gym. And uh, it's in Southern California, Orange County, California. And the gym, you know, when I say weightlifting, it's specific to the sport of weightlifting. So the barbell sport, the snatch and clean jerk. But, you know, anybody that just wants to come in and have fun and get strong. So there's athletes of all levels. And we always define athlete as anybody who has, you know, activity goals and and wants to do those kinds of fun things. And so, it's a dream environment, you know, to have a little office like that. You open the door and then you've just got this gym playground, you know, at your disposal. Um, so I've been out for seven years. It'll be, it'll be eight years this coming fall, but um, graduated physical therapy school in 2013 from the University of Indianapolis. I'm originally, I was born in Denver originally, but I uh, grew up in Indiana. So I'm a, I'm a Midwest guy and uh, I've only been in California for five years, but I went to UND for PT school. And before that, it was strength and conditioning through and through. So that's why I went to undergrad exercise science degree and, and wanted to work in the university setting and got a little taste of that and, and realized, man, you know, it's, it's tough. It, uh, and so, but I still wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach. So I went private sector instead and worked at um, several facilities as, you know, coach, performance trainer, those types of things, strength and conditioning coach, all those different titles. And Decided that I wanted to continue my um, education and physical therapy school seemed like a really nice addition with not because of the degree per se, but just the scope of knowledge, um, taking what I had learned in regards to training and, and applying it to injury and, and those types of things seemed like a, a logical next step. So that's why I went back to PT school and I pretty much work. The setting that I work in now is pretty much 
what I had envisioned for myself and what I did right out of school, um, was lucky enough to, to go back to one of the gyms that I had worked at and, and put my clinic in there right out of school. But it, it was part-time. I worked at another, you know, worked at a more traditional outpatient uh, clinic who was totally cool with and open, you know, we were transparent and I was open with what I was doing and they were a big company. Like they didn't care, you know, they were really awesome about it. And so I was able to kind of slowly build up my own little thing on the side, which was, which was nice. And that's, turned into uh, just more opportunity, you know, and, and meeting people and making connections. And that's kind of what brought me out to California. So um, I would say I've been doing some version of what I'm doing now for the past seven years, which Very has cool. been awesome. Very cool. Um, having that background in strength and conditioning, was there a certain moment or was it kind of a few instances that, you know, came about in your experience as a coach that, kind of made you want to gain more knowledge in certain areas that kind of physical therapy really spoke to you kind of in that way or? Yeah, I think I just, I have a tendency to get restless in general and kind of like, what can I add on to this? Not necessarily what, what can I move on from, but what can I add on to? Cause I knew that I was in the setting and the environment that I wanted to be in, in regards to just kind of the human performance, quote unquote realm in general. But it was like, what, what can I add to this? And, um, you know, the life of a trainer, a strength conditioning coach, it's, it's long, you know, and it's, um, you, you got to quote unquote, pay your dues and, and, um, get to, and really know people make connections to work your way up. And that's a grind, no matter what setting you're in university setting, private setting. And so the thought process, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into it. It was having a healthcare degree definitely opens up a lot more avenues for opportunity where you can still be in that particular setting, but now you have a different scope, you know, it's broadened. Um, the knowledge that came with that, it was like dealing with injury, you know, I could write a mean program. I could coach the lifts, all that, all that awesome stuff. Didn't really know how to manage the injury, uh, bug. And when you're, we always talk about, you know, scope of practice, but if you're a coach, you know, dang well that you're going to be dealing with injuries, be it indirectly. Nobody, you know, in your gym is completely healthy all the time. They're, you're, you're going to have to deal with that stuff in some way. And so it was just like, gosh, you know, I don't feel equipped um, to even know where to start with that, to know when something is okay to kind of work around or not. And, and so I thought physical therapy was kind of the bridge to that. Uh, I had looked into physician's assistant school, actually. Okay. Um, just kind of testing the waters on stuff. A lot of, a few professors in undergrad had tried to nudge me towards medical school. And I just didn't, I, I know a few friends in med school and I just, I didn't want to go that route. It didn't, it didn't light a fire in me. Um, but PA school was like, gosh, that's a, that's a pretty good gig. It's two years and it's pretty darn good money. But then when I actually started shadowing and, and kind of looked at the job, it's like, oh, okay, it's, it's kind of that physician life. It's really, it's, it's busy. It's, um, it's awesome if, if that's what you want, but it was like, um, trying to build relationships with people and see them through a particular process was, was tougher in that realm. And I think that's what makes physical therapy and the uh, chiropractic and these types of professions where you have a longer standing relationship with somebody is really unique psychology, those types of, of clinical professionals, um, which is, which is cool. And that's, and that's what I wanted, you know, with that coaching background as well. 
Yeah, definitely. I that's one of the things that I appreciate about the profession is just the time that we get with with people compared to maybe other healthcare professionals and really having the not feeling rushed to well, depends I guess where you're where you're working. <laughs> Some people might be rushed more than others, but um having time to really have, you know, conversations and learn about people and then use that to help guide them to get where they want to be. Um so that's definitely something that kind of resonated with me as well. Um now like when the decision was made for you to, you know, go back to physical therapy school, what were your expectations in terms of, you know, what you're, you know, you felt pretty confident on the programming side, teaching the lifts, coaching that in that way. Um, what were you kind of looking to gain out of that, um, in that, you know, just going to school to get that information? Yeah, gosh, you know, it's funny what, um, I had, I mean, I thought I knew way more about coaching back then than I do now. I mean, I, I came into PT school with a big, with a big old ego. Um, I'm the guy that knows about exercise. So physical therapy school is not going to teach me anything more about exercise. Even though I had this other weird delusion that I was going to be like LeBron James's student PT for three years or something <laughs> like that. I just didn't, you know, this is like clueless, but I, I really wanted to be like the, the manual therapy guru. And I'm not exaggerating. Like I would, I would, I was like, I want to be the guy where people are just, you know, lined up to get, to get fixed. Cause I can, you know, I can exercise them, but I want this, like, I want that magic. But I didn't understand all of the uh, uncertainty around that. I learned that, you know, I learned that pretty quickly. Um, but that's what I went into just kind of like this skewed um, perspective. Cause I thought that I had the coaching thing figured out, you know, and I, I was separating those worlds. So I was like, okay, put the coaching, I've got that down. Now I want to do and learn something that's completely different as if the human existence was separate, you know, coaching and rehab. So um, that process changed though within school. And I, and I started to kind of understand how all these things blend together and all of the um, kind of uncertainty around some of the things that we do in the clinic, be it manual therapy or whatever any of the interventions really. I mean, hell, even exercise when it comes to the pain experience. Um, but I think that really helped me uh, think. I think it, it going into it was such a skewed perception and then having to like get rid of that, I think was actually a really good uh, growth process for me. Um, and I'm glad that I let that guard down and I didn't kind of dig my heels into the ground and, and just kind of ignore the dissonance that I was feeling with some of the, some of that stuff, you know, um, but that was, that was an interesting version of me. Yeah. When, when do you feel like that, you know, started happening, like that process started happening for you? Was it during school? I know you said it happened pretty early on. Um, was that kind of something that came across through, you know, some professors kind of bringing some of the, um, kind of newer research up with, you know, some of the curriculum that they were teaching? Was that stuff that you were doing outside of class on your own? Um, how did, you know, you start kind of questioning some of the more traditional things you learn in, um, you know, a typical physical therapy curriculum? It was a, probably a little bit of all of those things. I look back now and I think about a, a couple professors in particular that were not necessarily, you know, actually they were like very directly um, talking about the, the biopsychosocial model and that didn't really click with me then, which is funny. Like I think about that a lot, actually, the things that I was learning in school that 
would have been extremely useful for me now, but back then I wasn't quite ready. I didn't know how to integrate it. I wasn't quite ready to hear it, those types of things. But it was a lot of it honestly was the fact that I just wasn't quote unquote getting it um, in terms of feeling things, seeing things. And if we're going to, you know, talk nuts and bolts, just some of the, the palpation stuff that we were doing and some of the, um, you know, interventions that were, that were uh, touted to have some type of mechanical change to the, to the human organism, you know, be it that from a tissue level or, or something like that, you know, layers deep, feel, you, you know, feeling this thing and all of those things, I just wasn't quite getting it. And I, and I know, you know, the, the common rebuttal of that was just get your reps in, keep doing it. Um, and I understand that. And I understood that, but it was, that was kind of the start of the questioning was that it wasn't coming to me as easily as I expected it to in terms of, you know, specifically the manual skills and those types of things. And so I started to kind of dig into a little bit in regards to well, what does this stuff actually do? And so I started kind of doing a little bit of, of side research and on certain techniques and interventions that are common and, and certain systems and schools of thought and that we were learning in PT school, but kind of digging into that stuff, you know, myself. And that was when I started to fall into some of the science on the pain experience and those types of things. And so I wasn't nearly as comfortable reading some of the hard uh, literature at that point. And so I'm sure that a lot of that stuff just went right over my head. Uh, but that's kind of what got the ball rolling. It was that combination of just not, not, it wasn't clicking and I was getting some dissonance again. It was just that kind of growing angst that maybe I had a, the wrong idea about some of these things. Um, and I know, you know, once you graduated, it sounds like, you know, you worked um, in a traditional kind of orth orthopedic clinic as well. Um, kind of, if you look back to, if you can remember like that first day that you were on the job as a, you know, solo clinician and, you know, what was your feeling like? Were you, you know, excited to kind of be able to do things kind of the way that you envisioned kind of, you know, your treatments looking like, or kind of your, the way that you envisioned practicing, or was there, you know, a bit of anxiety there as well, just cause you were really on your own for the first time. Uh, what did that look like on that first day? Oh, I was definitely nervous. Um, I would say though, I was really lucky with the company that I started out with because the clinic director was a year older than me. He was awesome. And so we were like these two young clinicians that could just kind of talk shop and, um, it was mostly one-on-one. -on -one. It was pretty low volume. Uh, it was a really great company to work for. The super um, supportive with continuing education and those types of things. So I was ner I was definitely nervous. I, I think that's normal, but nervous and excited and um, had just gotten lucky with that company that allowed me to kind of grow into being a new clinician as opposed to just, all right, you know, throw you to the wolves. Here's 27 people on your caseload day one, and you're just trying to survive, you know, that type of thing. I didn't feel that. I didn't get that type of overwhelming feeling, which was really good. And, you know, uh, one reason that I started doing my own thing right out of school, which is what they recommend you don't do. And, and what I recommend people don't do actually is just that I don't like having a boss. And so I did like the autonomy and I, I did like the fact that even the company that I worked for, I had a, a lot of autonomy there, even as a as a new grad, he thought, you know, that he knew a lot more than he did. Um, but I think it's totally normal to feel nervous. Um, I think it's that 
it kind of hits you that it's a very, it's real now. It's like, Oh, the, these, these people, you know, this is my responsibility. Now there's not, I don't have a, a, a clinical instructor to kind of like pick up the pieces when I mess up, but this is on me now. And, um, and that really is, you know, physical therapy. There's nothing that prepares you for that other than just doing it. And you just hope that you're that entry level clinician. I liken it to a black belt and in martial arts, you think of, of a black belt as being, oh, now you're on top now, now you're a master. But no, like when you really dig into the history of the black belt meant that, okay, now you're ready to learn. Now you've got the, now you've got the fundamentals and the base to really start your journey. And I feel like that's what it's like when you're, when you graduate, it's like your entry level. Now it's real. Now the learning really starts. Um, but I was definitely nervous. Yeah. And finding that first job sounded like you were, you know, pretty lucky with the clinical director that you started off with. Did you kind of shadow at different places looking for that first job? Like, were you looking for the right fit? Um, or was it something that, you know, it kind of just lucked out that the first you know place you interviewed at kind of just seemed pretty good? Or did you really kind of, were you looking for something in particular that, you know, quote unquote felt right to you off the I bat? Would, yeah, I was definitely looking. I think, but I started that search early making connections. And so one recommendation that I would make to students, you know, is to meet, make connections with facilities, with clinic owners, with gym owners while you're in school. Um, I would travel for a lot of my clinicals, but on the weekends I would go and travel to different gyms and, uh, and just meet coaches. And, and, uh, sometimes I'd travel to other clinics that I knew that were kind of in the performance space and they were open on the weekends. And so I would just kind of go shadow those clinicians. Um, and a couple of those connections ended up being very, very good for me long-term in the future. But in terms of that first job, it was kind of the same. I would come home for like coaching, um, conferences and stuff, or like, uh, events that my gym would put on and, there would be clinic, there would be PTs, you know, at these events and I would network and the company that I ended up working for Kentucky orthopedic rehab team, they have like 47 clinics in the state of Kentucky. And, uh, so I started making, so there's 47 clinic directors right there. You bump into them, you know, and you start to meet kind of that crowd. And, and I really liked the company and, um, I knew there was one clinic in particular that was new and uh, was kind of separated from the the rest of the company and geographic and kind of on its with its personnel. And I thought that that would kind of be the perfect um, the perfect start. And so I really had my eye on that place. So short story is try to make start early as early as you can, and it doesn't have to be like hard job searching because that can be stressful. And then sometimes it's pointless. If you're so far out from graduating, like you're not, they're not going to hire you. There's too much time, but just even making the introductions informally, you know, just like, just the fact that now this person knows that you're a physical therapy student, that's it. You know, that's a seed True. that's planted right there because they know, Oh, you're a student. Obviously you're going to graduate sometime in the future. Like that doesn't need, even need to be said, but uh, you can kind of, you plant that seed and then you can build on that dialogue you know, over time. So um, that really, really helped. Yeah. I think especially now with, you know, everything going on over the last year in the world, it's, you know, a lot of 
clinics or, you know, places may not be, you know, openly hiring. Um, mm-hmm. But like you're saying, making those connections so that, you know, hopefully when things get back to, you know, quote unquote normal, you know, you're kind of on their mind in terms of like, oh, I remember this person kind of reached out and, you know, they're, you know, potentially looking for a job and we're hiring again. So, yeah, I think that you bring up a great point there and it's, you know, not has to be a serious job search, but even just kind of reaching out and having conversations with people is is huge. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so now kind of you're working and at what point, or maybe it was already kind of in your mind, did you see yourself kind of, you had mentioned earlier, kind of looking for gyms and stuff like that, that kind of did more sports performance-based things. Was that always the population that you saw yourself with? Did you see yourself kind of working with barbell athletes at some point like you do now? Um, When did that kind of start coming together for you? Yeah, it was pretty much from day one. It was when I went to PT school, when when I even had the idea, when it was like, okay, I'm going to PT school, the environment that I was in, I'm looking around, I'm in a gym. I didn't want to leave that environment. So it was always, and I literally didn't because the gym that I coached at, the main gym that I coached at, went to PT school, was also the same gym that I came back and put my clinic inside of to start with. So, <laughs> and that was part of the plan. Um, so I knew like even, you know, a year in the PT school, that's, we were already kind of talking about doing that. Um, and that, so I'm one of those, was one of those where I went in with the, the environment that I wanted to be in. And I came out having not changed, but the, the process between those two time points of just, you know, physical therapy school in general, and also having clinicals in different settings, acute rehab, inpatient, all these things just gave me a really, really good context for working with people and context of, you know, there's some serious stuff out there. Um, you know, my, one of my rotations at the Boston medical center, which was a level one trauma center where they would take everyone. Uh, so you see some crazy stuff inpatient neuro rehab. It was probably the most fulfilling and rewarding eight weeks of my entire life. Um, but I also knew that I like, it's, that's hard to see that. So, but those settings, what they gave me great context and um, great perspective. So nothing ever wavered in terms of the setting that I wanted to be in, but I'm just really grateful for the uh, other experiences that I got. And there were a lot of people in my cohort who came in with certain ideas and then fell in love with a completely different setting just because they didn't even know that it was a thing or they just, that's just what happened, you know? So you can, I think it's totally okay to come in to physical therapy school with kind of an idea of where you want to go, but keep, keep those walls down and keep that mind open. Cause you're going to have to get experience in all different settings anyway. So you might as well really, you know, lean into it and, and get the most out of it. And you never know what could happen. You might be, you might fall in love with, with a certain setting that you had no idea that that would happen. Um, and that's great. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, they kind of said that to all of us, you know, you might have, you know, your bias of where you think you're going to be practicing, but just kind of keep an open mind. And, you know, even if you do kind of, I was similar in respect that I kind of saw myself being, you know, an outpatient or, you know, orthopedics kind of right off the bat. And I never really wavered for that from that, but I still learned a lot from my other rotations. And I think as long as you're willing to just learn from any environment that you're in, you're just going to just be better off for that in the long run. So, um, but you know, everyone's get gets fired up by something different. And I think that's the cool thing about the the field is there's so many different avenues that, that you can go with it. Um, 
yours and, and mine particularly just tend to be more like barbell athletes, but you know, whatever kind of keeps you fired up, you know, at the end of the day and keep you motivated to keep learning. I think that's what you got to kind of follow. Well, and there's parallels that transfer no matter what setting you're in communication. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, that's even, a, a, especially in a setting like let's say inpatient neuro, where you've got a patient with aphasia, various forms is, is communication not still incredibly important. And you now have to figure out ways to do it that are unorthodox or, or ways that you're not used to. You learn from those experiences that you can take with you no matter where you are. Decision-making. The, the, the rotation that I had in the Boston Medical Center was really fast-paced and it was our role, our main role was just decision-making. It was triage, it was um, discharge to home, you know, discharge to a different floor, discharge to a rehab center. It was making these decisions uh, for these people based on you know, their responses to treatment and, and our projections of, of what they could do on their own and all these things. But it was, it was, it was important decision-making, taking in all the information, you know, incomplete information that we had and, and then trying to piece together the best plan for this person. And decision-making is a universal thing that we all need to do, you know? So like you take those experiences, if you don't compartmentalize and you start the, you know, my ability to manage things and my ability to uh, communicate effectively, I think are, were enhanced from those experiences that I could take with me in, in any setting. So when you think about it like that, you know, all these, ex these experiences are, are valuable. Yeah. I love, I love what you just said there. And it kind of brought me to another kind of parallel that I had. We had spoken a while back. I was putting together, um, a lecture for my, um, alma mater, um, in terms of like some motor control stuff. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, dynamical systems theory and my fiance who works in kind of more developmental pediatrics, you know, she, you know, we may work kind of with a different population, but we use similar ideas in terms of using the, you know, individual task in the environment to kind of get, you know, get, have the movement emerge of what we want to happen. Um, and just kind of seeing those two tie together, we're like, yes, it's, you know, she's working with babies and I'm working with, you know, maybe someone that's more of a recreational, you know, CrossFitter, let's say, but we're kind of using the same theories and ideas to kind of get what we want, you know, that person to do if we're trying to work on a specific movement. So I think when you kind of, when we talked about that, I was like, wow, like I never drew that parallel before. And, it, and it's really cool to see. Heck yeah. I mean, even again, literally every setting, individual task environment. I don't care if you're in the ER and your task is getting them out of bed. What are you going to do? Well, you're going to set up the environment so that one, they're safe, but two, it sets them up to be able to, to use the environment to their advantage or to challenge them with the task, you know, like the task is okay. You can, you can sit on the edge of the bed and you can use your hands to level, to level yourself. And that's a constraint that you have on your behalf. Let's take that constraint away. And now you have increased degrees of freedom. You're wobbling yeah. around and you have to internalize that control, right? So like th this stuff applies for sure across the board. Neuro, definitely the same thing. Um, and I, you know, I really appreciated those settings also for how pa the pain experience was managed. And I work in outpatient orthopedics, so this is no knock on outpatient orthopedics, but there's a different vibe when somebody comes in perfectly healthy individual, otherwise with a little bit of anterior knee pain, when they squat 300 pounds versus somebody who just had a stroke or a traumatic brain injury or a spinal cord injury. And it's, yeah, I hurt. Okay. 
let's manage that experience so that we can get you moving and get your, get you to be able to live your life and do the things that you want to do. Like there is no, let me just, let me take care of your, you hurt a little bit. Okay. We won't walk today. No, you want to walk you for life. We're we have to walk and we have to do that. And it's that. And the, and I think obviously the pain experience is uncomfortable and, and you don't want to kind of manage that, but there's even, just the, the patient kind of understands that it's more part of the process, I think. But the clinician also, there's that inherent understanding that we can't waste time here. Um, and without patient stuff, it's just not as, things generally are not as like dire in general. I don't know, I'm probably pissing a lot of people off. I work, this is a setting that I love. I'm, this is a setting that I love and I work with. So my yeah. point is, those other settings framed the pain experience in a different way that I thought was probably more beneficial for the, for our job when it comes to the, like the physical rehab process than a lot of what we see in outpatient land, whereas making pain the utmost goal, mm -hmm. as opposed to the other way around of that's, that's a constraint that pain is a constraint that we manage in terms of trying to get you back to whatever your level of function is that you want to be. Um, it's pain is the goal, you know, decreased pain is the yep. goal. And then, so I always thought that was interesting. And I try to kind of take that mindset to my practice. Yeah, that is a really cool takeaway and something I hadn't kind of considered before, but I definitely understand what you're, what you're saying there. Um, and I, I didn't get upset by what you just said. I also work in outpatient orthopedics, but um, as far as like, you know, you know, kind of moving back to starting your own practice and things like that. Talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, the idea behind clinical athlete and, and for those that maybe don't know a lot about that kind of giving us a bit brief introduction of what that is and kind of where that idea um, sprouted from. Yeah, definitely. So clinical athlete, clinicalathlete.com. We do a lot of things at this point, but you know, at its core, it was a way for athletes to connect with professionals who they could trust so we have a directory on the website you know it's just a map with a bunch of pins on it uh of clinicians that um who apply to be a clinical athlete provider and and who go through a, a filtering process just you know if you're an athlete what you're looking for is a healthcare professional who's not just gonna put a blanket statement on you to just stop doing the thing that you want to do or finds another hobby or take two weeks off without kind of giving alternatives to supplement those types of things. And so being a quote unquote clinical athlete provider, we wanted to find professionals who understood the goals because, you know, maybe they were athletes themselves. They walked the walk. So professionals who can kind of understand the performance side of things and, and the goals of the active individual. And that's an idea that I had even in physical therapy school, it wasn't clinical athlete, the, you know, the, the brand, but it was like, man, it would be awesome if there were more prof healthcare professionals like that. And that, that idea was just kind of that all it was, was an idea. And then it over time um, for, you know, last year of PT school, first couple of years of being out, it was kind of like um, I was meeting more and more individuals like that. And it was like, Oh man, it would be awesome if we could like somehow house these people together, those types of things. Um, so it just, it was just an idea that, that grew out of itself. And in the summer of 2015, it was, I had, uh, just moved to California to work with a company called juggernaut training systems, put my clinic inside of the big, big facility that they had opened here in Southern California. And so I was lucky enough to have a 
very large audience from Juggernaut. It was a very, they have a huge following and a lot of healthcare professionals. And so it was like, wow. So now I have, I'm lucky enough to have this platform. Let's put something, to, something together. And so the entire summer of 2015, I was just on the phone with the, like the first 50 people that ended up being on the clinical athlete directory, you know, we're talking and talking to them about the idea and, and getting jazzed up. You know, it was, it was awesome. That, that summer was, was a lot, was really special. I made friends that I have, you know, to this day from, from five years ago, but really soon it was like, oh, dang. So we're going to put this um, resource together for active individuals so they can find professionals who they can trust. But like, what about us? You know, what about those professionals? It would be awesome to have a platform to just talk shop. And that's where the clinical athlete forum was born. It was just like, oh yeah, duh. Like something like that. So we, we made a forum and, and those are the two, you know, mainstays of clinical athlete to this day, the clinical athlete directory and the, the clinical athlete forum. So it was kind of fulfilling those two missions, connect athletes with professionals that they can trust number one and number two, continue the education of those professionals and students and coaches in the realm of athlete health and performance and, and other things have spawned, you know, off of that, the courses that we have and all of these things, but you know, that was the general idea. And it just kind of kept growing out of itself. There was really no plan. I mean, the name, lots of funny stories, like the name was, we probably had 50 different names, clinical strength, but we were like, ah, strength is maybe too niche and it kind of walls people off, but also clinical strength, like uh, Procter and Gamble probably would have sent us a cease and desist. Cause I'm pretty <laughs> sure clinical strength is like a, a trademark term, for like <laughs> toothpaste and stuff. But um, so there was like funny stuff like that. And also like the day that we announced, we announced clinical athlete was going to be a thing. It was like teasers, you know, it was like, what, what would, um, how awesome would it be if a network of healthcare providers? So we were like teasing stuff like that, like a month out. And then a week out from our launch, when we really basically told people what we were doing, a very prominent person in the field launched a very similar directory that day. Um, and it was very, <laughs> so, so that, but, but, so that happened and it was like, Whoa, I, you know, we, we like clinical athlete was almost not a thing because we were like, do we even do it now? Yeah. We're just going to get engulfed by this entity. Um, but we were like, no F that, you know, that's not what this is about anyway. It, it, and so it was like, that was a fleeting thought, but, but there was like a very, small period of time where it was like, should we even do this? And long story, you know, fast forward five years later, here we are having this conversation and that other entity, that other thing doesn't exist anymore. And so it was just, so like, you know, but like you run into stuff like that, you know? Um, so it's just interesting to kind of think back on it, but that's really, that was really the impetus. No real plan. It wasn't planned out. Have you asked me like five years ago, what was clinical athlete going to turn into? Now we are five years from then I would have had no idea. And that's, pretty much how I live my life. <laughs> um, but, but yeah. Um, and you know, I, for one, am definitely very glad that you didn't, uh, quit on it after that, uh, initial kind of hiccup there, but, you know, kind of bringing up kind of to that startup that you had the idea again, not named clinical athlete at the time, but like in PT school, had you ever had an experience like as an athlete, I think, I believe you, I remember you saying that you played college football. Um, what was like your previous experience with PT life, uh, PT like, or, you know, as a, you know, uh, 
barbell athlete, like, did you go and have, you know, maybe not the best experiences with uh, a healthcare provider um, that made you kind of say, okay, like this population can be better served? Yeah. So the answer is really no. Um, (laughs) I'm so I don't have that kind of textbook experience of like, you know, tore my ACL, had PT, like PT changed my life. And now I went to PT school. I only, I did work with physical therapists. I worked with physical therapists for a patellar tendinopathy that I was having going into my um, sophomore year of, of college playing football. And I honestly, back then didn't even know it was a physical therapist. Like I had a very skewed, I had a very, very mechanical based uh, view of everything. So um, my tendons hurt the front of my knee hurt. And so I was like, okay, I went through the whole gamut imaging, all these things like no, for no reason, like nobody, I was just making these decisions for myself. Like who gets an MRI for teletendinopathy? But that's what I did. Cause I was thinking, Oh, knee pain, ligaments, ACL. Like I didn't know anything. This was, you know, young, um, early on into my, my education on the body rather than like programming and things like that. But I did, I had, they, they were like, no, you don't, your knee is fine. Like everything's intact. Here's a script for physical therapy. And I don't even remember at that. It was like, here's a, here's a prescription. And they sent me down to the team with a bunch of tables and a huge open place and things. People were doing squats and doing all these things. And, uh, I honestly didn't know it was physical therapy. I was just, okay, they're, they're having me do some like exercise cause I'm not going to get surgery. Um, but so that was my experience. Um, and I didn't have like a profound experience from it, to be honest. And um, in college, my experience with healthcare was with the athletic trainers in the training room, you know, playing football and they were awesome. But I had, I had teletendinopathy through my whole experience playing college football. Um, And it did affect me quite a bit because I was a defensive back and all we do is like backpedal. So I'm just doing like quad, quad, quad. And my quads were weak as hell. And I didn't squat because my knees hurt. And I didn't know that Oh, I should probably squat. So (laughs) you know, like to get strong and stuff, but I was like, no pain out. I want injections. Like I had a really skewed, no, seriously, like really skewed perspective. Um, I was always badgering the athletic trainers to, to send me to go get like cortisone shots for my tendons. And they were like, no, that's not, you don't want that for your tendon. And I just wasn't hearing it. Like think, I only know all these things because I think back on it now and I'm like, oh my God, I was such an idiot. Um, but my experiences were very um, like skewed and walled off because of my inability to take in the information at the time. So um, it wasn't one of those like profound experiences with physical therapy. It was just physical therapy seemed like the logical step to, like I said earlier, to add on to my existing knowledge base. Um, But when I think back now, it was like, it's cool to think about those things in action now that I have context to what the heck I was even like going through, like, I'm glad they didn't let me get the cortisone injection for my tendon. I'm glad nobody recommended a surgery to get my tendon scraped or something nonsensical that wouldn't have worked. Um, I think back of, about the exercises that I was given. Cause I remember all that stuff pretty vividly. And so I kind of think about, Oh, okay, that's interesting. Like I would probably do that even, you know, now as clinician probably wouldn't have done that one. Lots of ultrasound, Lots, you know, lots of these things like static stretching for a tendon probably wasn't all that effective, but, um, so I did have, I did have the experience. It wasn't, it wasn't super profound, um, but it's cool to think back on. Um, and I use those experiences to kind of 
guide what I do now. And I also, I don't, um, I used to get really frustrated as a, as a young clinician. And I still do sometimes when, when somebody just there, it's always their choice, right? Informed consent. It's always ultimately at the end of the day, it's the, it's the patient's choice, whatever treatment strategy they want to go. And they pick the one that I don't think is the best for them. And you, you know, you get frustrated and you want to convince them, you know, but some of that's coming just from your ego because you want them to know that you're right. <laughs> I want, you know, you should think like I think. And I think back of my old self, the self that I'm describing in that athletic training room that wasn't hearing anything other than what I wanted. And now that's actually really helped me because some people are just not going to be ready to listen or are not going to be ready to take in certain information. Behavior change works like that. It's, you can only plant the seeds and you can only kind of do your best and, and, you know, help to guide them in the right direction, but ultimately they have to continue the, the process in that direction. And so based on a version of myself who repeatedly turned the other direction, I, I now under, have more empathy in those situations with, with people who may be just not in the space or the time in their life to hear certain things. I don't know if that makes sense, but it, yeah, no, I, I honestly feel like you just read my mind because I was going to ask if you reflect back on those experiences and you were probably hard set on needing those injections and needing that, you know, uh, needing imaging. And like, that's what you thought that you needed and believe that to your core. And people think that stuff and you can't just, you know, you can't just go at them like day one being like, no, that stuff's stupid. You don't need that at all. Like, you have to, you have to kind of, depending on the person that's in front of you, you have to either, you know, plant the seeds very slowly, or you just, you know, don't kind of, <laughs> you let that go for it right off the bat initially and kind of build a little bit more rapport before you attack that. But um, I a hundred percent kind of understand what you were saying. Cause I was literally going to ask that question. Um, Cause I'm sure that you deal with that, you know, to this day, you know, people just kind of thinking that, you know, that's what they need. And, you know, thankfully we're in the position of having the knowledge base that we do where again, at the end of the day, it is their choice. It's their body, but all we can do is give them our best information that we can, and then ultimately leave them to make their own decision. And that information that you give them, maybe it doesn't have the effect in that moment, but you don't know, like that could stay with them. And literally five years down the line, it could have, have had the intended effect. I can only speak on my experience, but that's exactly what happened. The athletic, the, co the strength and conditioning coaches kept like telling me, go get strong. Like, okay, you can't squat. Fine. Go to the leg press. I didn't want to do leg press because that hurt my knees too. Like it was just this downward spiral. The athletic trainers were telling me, no, like you're not going to get an injection. It's bad for your tendons. When you get done playing football and you stop backpedaling a thousand yards a day, like your knees are probably going to feel better. I didn't want to hear that either. But lo and behold, like after my football career, immediately they started to feel a little bit better. And also that's, they started to feel better. I started to strength train and that helped me feel better. So it was like this now feed forward mechanism, but there was like, Oh, he was right. She was right. She, you know, so now I'm making these dots, but we're like years and months down the line. And now I start to learn about, rehab and physical therapy. And it was like, Oh, okay. So now, you know, so it compounds on itself. And again, now here we are talking about it a decade later from that experience. Um, and it had its intended effect. It was just much later, you know, down the line. So you don't get frustrated as a, that helps me as a healthcare provider to just do the best you can 
um, do the best based on the information that you have and be patient and understand that you might be frustrated if somebody you feel is not listening to you or picks a, a path against your recommendations. But let's be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves, like how many times do we still do that about stuff that we're uninformed about like to this day, physical therapy aside, but it could be anything in your life. So we're just all in different places. And uh, I just think it, it really helped me to put all of that stuff into perspective to have experienced that in the first person and now having kind of like the blessing of being a human and having the metacognition to think about my thoughts and to, and to put myself back in the shoes of my old self, but from a, with a different perspective is I think a valuable exercise. Yeah, absolutely. I've had, you know, just being, you know, maybe like a year and a half out now from school and practicing, you know, I look back and, and reflect on where I used to, you know, blame patients or athletes that I was coaching for, you know, not listening, you know, to suggestions that I had or, um, you know, doing their home exercise program, you know, for instance. And now, thankfully, I can look back and say, okay, well, clearly that's, that's part of that's on me because I didn't make it important enough to them to do or find value in. Um, so I think it's like, it's always easy to just use a patient or an athlete as a scapegoat, but being able to look back and say, okay, I, you know, part of that's on me too. Um, I think is, is supremely valuable. So I, I really like what you just kind of brought up there. That was, that was really cool. Um, yeah. Well, as you, and as you get more, um, as everybody, as we learn more, you know, the, the old idiom of like, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know, that that rings true a lot of the times. Um, and I think it humbles us a little bit where we're more, st- instead of telling people what they should be doing, realizing that, well, maybe I shouldn't be so certain about that either. And now it's just like, okay, well, here are our options. And that's like a different conversation. And I think one, people are more willing to hear that instead of I, me specifically shoving my thoughts down people's throats about what they should do and what they shouldn't do, which is what I did as a younger clinician. And it didn't work as well as here are our options. Here's what we understand that this will provide and maybe not so much of this and this and this, and our, we always have an option of doing nothing and just going on as is. And here's the prognosis for that. And it's, you know, that takes a lot of pressure off the clinician too. You don't have to be the one who's giving the magic or being right. You're just kind of just, I will help you, you know, to talk through this stuff. I'll give you my input obviously, but um, even the little things like I used to get, I had this thing with foam rolling that I was like my, you know, my life's mission for like a year to just get everybody off the foam roller and do something more productive. And like, I still, I still kind of have that annoyance with it just, just because of, of like other things, just like crazy claims that are, um, you know, probably not, you're not getting some of the things that you're, that you're hearing that you're getting from a foam roller, for example. But if, you know, now when people ask me, well, what well, can I do this? Let's say formal, for example, what about formal? Can I, I like it and say, okay, you're free to spend your money and your time. However you want, as long as we can, as long as we prioritize X, Y, Z, these things can fill in the gap. Let's just be realistic about what it's doing, and what it's not doing. That's a different conversation than what it used to be. Whereas I was, 
ended up just being a diatribe on something like foam rolling and me trying to convince them. And like, that's also not how behavior change work. Behavior change works a lot of times because you get the backfire effect. Like you come at people hard. A lot of times they just dig their heels into their beliefs even deeper. Um, and again, you can think about yourself. If somebody comes at you with something that you hold dear, like you get triggered. You are, you just like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to let that go now. You're right. No, that's not what happens. <laughs> so lots of, lots of like these processes are always ongoing, but, um, just, you know, lots of growth in the last seven years for me. And uh, what's cool about clinical athlete is I can see that's a similar growth because we're all kind of like talking about the same things and going through the same struggles and very similar um, issues and problems as, as new graduates and students and these types of things. So to have an entire community to talk about these types of things has been immense for my own professional growth. Um, and I think for others as well. Yeah. I was, um, talking to Eric Lagoy, uh, previously, and I was telling him that, you know, some of the people that I look up to the most now these days are people that are just kind of open with the fact that, you know, they're still learning and they're still getting stuff wrong, you know, every day. And I really like, I actually hadn't, I wasn't aware of the black belt um, thing that you brought up earlier about kind of once you reach black belt status, you're kind of ready to learn at that point. I really, I really like that. Um, so the fact that you're kind of, you know, even, you know, being as far out from school as you are now, like you're still learning and reflecting back on that stuff. I think that's really just, it's, it's nice to hear and not just being like, Oh, like, you know, once you're five plus years out, like, you know, you just, you're golden and you're just going to, you know, be set and just keep doing things the way that you're doing. It's like, no, it's like, I'm, I keep reflecting back you know, all the time and I'm still growing and learning. Um, and as a new, new clinician, I think that's just awesome to hear. Well, and I think that's, that's why it's so important to have a community. That's not, that's not just an echo chamber, but you're all, you're all in it for growth. And because it's easy to rest on your laurels. I mean, that's just kind of human nature. When you get comfortable with something, you kind of go on autopilot. And if you're not currently facing any roadblocks with it that need to be changed, you you get comfortable and that's an easy, that's an easy thing to have happen. And that's it, scary though, when it comes to, uh, you know, cause we have other people are, are counting on us, you know, as healthcare professionals. So um, we should always be striving to, to, to be, have best practice based on our, our best interpretation of the evidence. And because we all have different interpretations, that's why it's so important to also have a community to bounce these ideas off of because you'll just kind of see the patterns that way and you, and you won't have to ask questions of like, well, am I even interpreting this correctly? Because there's probably not a correctly, but you can at least get, compare your thoughts to other thoughts and people keep you accountable. Um, even if it's just kind of observing, like, you know, so-and-so is is just killing it and super passionate. And you're like, I used to be like that, you know, well, how can I get that back? You know, what have I lost? And you can kind of dig in, you know, but it's just when you put yourself in that silo, that's where things get, um, that's where it, it, it gets dangerous. Yes. And kind of having, talking about the community and, and things like that, like who, you know, who have you kind of looked to, to kind of keep yourself inspired, to keep learning and keep growing and, or, you know, who has impacted your practice the most over, over the years or any courses that you've kind of really impacted you the way you think and in your practice? Oh man, 
There's definitely not, there's definitely not any one person. I will, I will say this though, Eric Mara and uh, JW Matheson and the PT inquest podcast and people are like a podcast, but that podcast, I started listening in 2013 when they first started. I actually don't know if we w- if you and I would even be on this podcast right now, if it wasn't for that podcast, because it wasn't just a podcast. It was teaching I looked at it as like a course on critical thinking and um, learning how to appraise evidence and implement evidence into practice, like very fundamental concepts. And um, that really got me started on a path. I mean, that, if, if I had to say one thing, it would probably be Eric Mara and that podcast and his website and his blog and his courses subsequently um, that have had just a tremendous impact on, on my thinking, on my willingness to now question things and, and all of that. Um, same family of people, Scott Morrison has a huge influence on me. Always, anytime I get too excited about something, he's always, he's always there to uh, pull me back down to earth, which is <laughs> always, always pretty painful. But, um, it, so many people through the clinical athlete directory that are just, um, Jason Yore out of Virginia, Derek Miles and Michael Ray over at Barbell Medicine. I mean, those guys, some of the OGs of clinical athlete, Jonathan Hodges, Eric Lagoy, um, just so many, so many clinicians that are, you know, some of them being the same age as me. So not necessarily like a mentor mentee, but just kind of peer to peer, you know, learning and interaction. Um, so I would say this though, try to diversify the people that you, that you learn from. So you, you can have, even if you're the most traditional men, you know, mentor, mentee, apprenticeship, master kind of model, like the old carpenter model, um, you've got one, one main mentor and that's kind of how you learn from, and that's fine. But also know that like only learning, learning from one person or one school of thought, you're going to take that worldview with you. You know, it's going to be whatever, um, maybe you flip it on its head, like, like Plato and Socrates, but you know, I would recommend kind of trying to diversify your education, um, diversify the the figures that you look up to and learn from, and the 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 systems that you learn about. Be um, multi modeled in your thinking. So don't because we you know models are um, any model or system that you learn is a reductionist view of the world. It has to be for us to to make any sense of it. So. Um, have multiple models at your disposal to, uh, to take action and make decisions. So just try to diversify. So that's when I, you know, when you ask that question, I lift list off like 20 people who have all influenced me in different ways. Um, I'm grateful for that, you know, diversity. Yeah. Especially in times like this where we can't really have that, you know, real close in person, yeah, very true. Um, and honestly, like, yeah, you, you kind of brought up their podcast and I, that's kind of my impetus to start my own podcast was that I ended up listening to a lot of podcasts and was, you know, learning a lot of things and just getting pointed to different resources through the podcast that I was listening to. So to myself, I was just like, you know, I would love to have conversations with certain people and ask, you know, questions that don't get asked on other podcast episodes, but I also, if people can find that valuable at the same time, then I think that's great. And it's kind of just like giving back to what podcasts have given me in a way, um, because I've found them super valuable, you know, just over the last few years. I see it as a blog, like 
it's what is, you know, back in like the 2000s, what was a blog? It was just a diary, essentially. So it's always just a diary of your thoughts and uh, sometimes bringing other people in like think tanks and technologists allowed us to do that on different levels and different platforms. But, you know, that's awesome. As a podcast, it's just the same. It's just you expressing yourself in a certain way, yeah. you know, and then having it with being able to do it with other people is super powerful. Um, but I think you keep the podcast to what to, to your heart. And if other people find that helpful, that's awesome. Um, but you don't, you know, don't try to be everything for everybody. So yeah. I love, I love what you've built here. This is really cool. Well, thank you. I really uh, appreciate it. And I don't want to eat up too much of your time. Um, cause I know that you got a lot going on. Um, but to kind of wrap it up, um, if you had to, you know, think of, you know, one piece of advice to give to any, you know, healthcare professional, you know, student, new grad, um, kind of what would you kind of give to them in terms of, you know, either just growth or development, what, you know, a takeaway, anything really that piece of advice that you would give? Yeah. Um, first of all, I don't have that much going on where, I mean, we're in California, <laughs> so it's like I'm in the epicenter of, of the pandemic. We're in lockdown. There's yeah. not much. There's yeah. not much. <laughs> um, I have this old, uh, actually I'm looking at it right now. It's a piece of paper that I printed off. It's got a proverb on it. And it says, be not afraid of growing slowly. Be afraid only of standing still. And I've got, it's, it's literally the only thing that I have on my wall right now because I have a tendency to want to do it all and want to know it all and want everything right now. And then when I, when I know that's not possible, I get overwhelmed and I end up not doing any, any of it. Um, I've been caught in that trap and that circle numerous times over the course of my life. So now I try to take that into account. And as a new grad, it's hard in the physical therapy profession because we're like, okay, we want to learn. If we want to uh, implement evidence and science into practice, we have to know the body of evidence. Okay, well, that takes a long time. And there's a crap ton of studies, like literally in the time that we've been talking on this podcast, there <laughs> are 500 studies that just came out on your particular topic of interest, you know? Um, so that's overwhelming, especially when you've got, okay, I've got this person in front of me now, though. So you're, even though you're, we're like, oh yeah, long-term, long-term, it's a process, blah, 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 blah. What do I do now with this person right in front of me who's just staring at me? Like that is a hard thing to deal with. And what I'm about to, but what I'm talking about doesn't make it any easier. It's just a reminder that like you do the best you can with what you've got in the moment. And as long as you're just chipping away at these things, whatever the thing is that you want to learn, get better at, if, if you can just make little progress, but consistent progress over time, it, all good things happen. You, you, I mean, it's just to describe, um, you know, looking back on something that you've really put consistent effort into, um, you see that you see that improvement and you see that progress and uh, not feeling like you have to get it all at once, I guess, is, is just like the main the main takeaway. And you're just going to have that feeling as a new grad with all that being what we talked about in the beginning. It's like you have this entire caseload that you're responsible for now and you got 15 people on your caseload. It's going to be 15 different individuals, 15 different body parts, 15 different experiences. Like everything is going to be different and unique to that individual. 
And there's no way in hell that you're going to be up on the body of evidence or, you know, on every single topic that's happening with these people from a biopsychosocial realm. I mean, think about that. Like, nope. That's, that's just like this all knowing physical therapist that doesn't exist. That's like all hail, whoever this physical therapist is. <laughs> it's like the all knowing, right. The omnipotent. Um, so just understand that nobody is like that. So that should help. Um, don't get too crazy and caught up with all the people posting what they're doing on social media. Don't feel like you're falling behind because I mean, social media is a highlight reel. So just be okay with chipping away. Pick, pick one topic, um, one thing that you want to get better at, one particular skill of clinical practice. That could be anything. And chip away at that for a period of time. And then pick something that builds on that. And chip away at that. And before you know it, you're going you're gonna to build a pretty useful toolbox. You will know what each tool does and you'll know the times to use it as opposed to just having a, a shed full of tools that have accumulated over the past 50 years that you have no idea what the hell any of it does and, and yeah. all that good stuff. So <laughs> go slow. Um, be okay with the uncertainty and just know that we're all somewhat overwhelmed <laughs> yeah <laughs> um no that's great i definitely uh i think that that's again very useful to hear especially as a as a new grad myself and for any students or new grads that might um tune in um or even people that have been out for a few years that you know people still don't have it figured it out um but again thank you very much for your time um where can can people find you uh what's you know easiest way to reach you if anyone's interested in kind of reaching out sure um you can follow the, all the clinical athlete channels, um, uh, Facebook, Instagram. I'd also, uh, so a clinical athlete, you know, is, is doing a pretty big, uh, partnership with the level up initiative. And so we've created the Kalu Facebook group, which is free. So I would recommend anybody join that as well. I'm in there and my, my personal Facebook Quinn DPT. Um, it's all, it's all PT related stuff. And I'm on Facebook as well. So lots of places to connect. Awesome. Perfect. Well, uh, I'd love to have you on again because I know I didn't even get to ask you some of the questions that I wanted to ask you. So if, uh, if you're open to it, I'd love to uh, again in the future uh, have you on for another episode. Hey, man, I'd love to. Anytime. You just got to ask your audience if they are will brave uh, hearing me ramble again, but I would love to be on. <laughs> All right. Good to hear. Uh, well, thank you again for listening to Mike Check, everyone. Uh, that'll do it for today's episode and I'll catch you on the next one.